0: I got a brand new sweetie better than the no one before oh she's got everything and a little bit more hello and welcome to another mini episode of additional history headlines you probably missed i'm your host tiffany clark and these mini episodes are a fun way to tell you shorter stories from history that don't necessarily coincide with other famous dates that being said Today's mini-episode will have some dates that do coincide with famous dates because as you might have noticed, today's episode name is Random Clippings Number 2. Random clippings are exactly what they sound like. Random clippings. Sometimes I find fun little stories that I want to tell you, but they have nothing to do with anything I'm already talking about. Or they're too short, or the dates are weird, and sometimes I pick them just because of the insight they give into times long gone. So, without any further ado, let's get started. For my first random history story, I'm taking an article from January 1st, 1892, and this article was printed in The Evening World out of New York. This is a fun story and I think you'll like it, but there's no guarantee whatsoever that it's true. In the 1800s, the newspapers loved to put fictional stories in the newspapers, and sometimes it's really hard to decipher when they're sharing a short story someone made up or a real event. Maybe the reporters themselves don't even know. The article's headline reads, Intelligence of a Horse, and it's about a roan from Kentucky. Sadly, the article doesn't give the name of the horse or the horse's owner, which is usually a sign of exaggerated or made-up news. Anyway, the horse was led out to pasture so he could roam around and stretch his legs, have a snack of grass probably, and basically do what horses do. The paddock the horse was in was secured by a wooden latch. Now, this horse was a very intelligent horse, as our headline says, and after just a few days of being in the paddock, he taught himself how to pull the stick out of the latch holding him in. Then he dropped the stick on the ground. Luckily, the stable boy noticed that the paddock was opened and was able to shut it again before the horse escaped for good. After a few times of pulling out the stick and dropping it right there where he stood, the horse realized it wasn't doing him any good. So he started pulling the stick out and then crossing the paddock and dropping it on the other side of the fence into the neighbor's yard. This happened a few times and I'm sure the stable boy and owner of the horse were a bit confused about where their sticks kept going. So, after latching the horse back in one day with a new stick, the owner decided to watch and see what would happen. Sure enough, the horse started tugging and pulling as the owner watched from a distance, and he managed to get the stick out yet again. But the horse had caught on just as well as his owner and the stable hand. Since they kept replacing the stick and he kept moving it, they'd kind of fallen into a cycle that didn't seem able to be broken. Don't underestimate the horse, though he had a solution. When he pulled the stick out, as the owner watched, the article says, quote, he gave one defiant snort and laboriously set to work to eat it up. If his object was a total annihilation of the hasp, there is no doubt that he accomplished it. That horse really wanted its freedom. For my second random clipping story of the day, I'm taking an article from the Topeka State Journal out of Topeka, Kansas. This comes from January 17th, 1920. I'm not going to read you the headline quite yet, though, because it kind of gives the story away. Okay, so this story took place in Harrington, Kansas, which is actually about 90 miles west of Topeka. A lot of trains came and went through Harrington back then and in the earliest days of the small town. The night our story took place a hostler working for the Rock Island Railroad Company made a gruesome discovery. Now, if I'm correct, a hostler is the person who moves freight back and forth from the train cars to wagons or trailers in the train yard. Hopefully that's right. Anyway, that night, the train he was working around was getting ready to leave the station when he discovered a body inside the train's firebox. Since the train was almost ready to leave, he had to act fast, He pulled the body out of the furnace and sounded an alarm. A crowd quickly gathered and the police and sheriff were notified. They took the charred body to the undertaker, but there were so many unanswered questions, not the least of which were who was the person burned up and who was the murderer who put that person in the firebox in the first place. The Rock Island Railroad quickly sent a team of detectives to Harrington to start investigating as soon as they heard about the discovery. Those detectives believed it was definitely an act of foul play, and whoever made the initial examination of the body discovered a knife wound right above the heart. The arms, legs, and head had been completely burned, leaving mostly just the torso area. The county coroner gathered the detectives and most of the physicians from the town to examine the body and see what else they could find. They were hoping some little piece of evidence would lead to the identity of the victim or the murderer. And now would be a good time to read you the headline I skipped earlier. It says, Rights over a pig. Officers thought they found a man in engine firebox. Yes, friends, the deceased person was not human, but rather a pig, and everyone was relieved. However, the question of why a pig was in the firebox was never answered nor was the question of whether or not it smelled like bacon over the entire route the train had just traveled. My next story also has to do with a train. I loved this story because it's a story of redemption and shows the goodness that exists in some people. The article comes from the Jackson's Hole Courier out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, from February 14, 1929. The headline says, lied about age of son, pays fare 20 years late. Apparently, a woman walked into the railroad office in Dallas, Texas, and handed over $35 in cash. She told the clerk who took the money that 20 years earlier she had gone on a train ride with her young son, and in order to get a free ticket for him, she lied about his age, saying he was too young to pay for the fare. She said that at the time, her husband had been very sick and they didn't have very much money, and definitely not enough for train tickets for her and her son for wherever it was they had gone 20 years before. The fact that she had lied had haunted this poor woman for 20 years. So, she saved up and paid the railroad $35, an amount that was the price of the train ticket plus 20 years of interest. The railroad decided to keep the woman's name a secret, which is probably a good thing, but I'm glad they shared the story with the press anyway because sometimes it's nice to know that there are good people out there. Even if this story took place more than a hundred years ago. My next story also comes from the Jackson's Hole Courier of the same date. There were so many funny little stories in that particular issue of the newspaper that day that I couldn't stop at just one. And honestly, I've saved more in my files that I'll share with you some other time. Anyway, once again, the date was February 14th, 1929. This article is only two sentences long, and it tells of something that happened in Steubenville, Ohio. The headline says, Spanker Breaks Arm. Apparently, Mike Dresser's son had made him so angry that he decided the son needed to be spanked. Unfortunately, there's no word on what the son did to make his father so angry. But when his father came at him, ready to strike, the son dodged and Mike Druster slammed his arm into the wall instead. The force of the impact broke Mike Druster's arm. Now, that sounds pretty awful for all involved, but I feel like I need to note here the son's age. He was 20 years old. Yes, a man broke his arm while trying to spank a 20-year-old man. For my next story today, I'm taking an article from the Wawoka Daily Times out of Wawoka, Oklahoma, and this comes from August 28, 1963. I liked this little story because it shows a fun event from a small town and gives a good idea of how small town living was back in the 60s. This headline reads, bring soap or towel and see Tigers play. This article is about the Wawoka high school football team. Their mascot was the Tiger, hence the headline. Wawoka is a small town in Oklahoma with just a few thousand people, and I can't help but assume it would have been even smaller in the 1960s. According to the coach, Glenn Seacrest, during the first week of practice, about 25 boys showed up. But eight more had joined the team since then and they'd all been practicing hard. He said that the team was in good physical and mental condition, and they were enthusiastic and ready to start their season. Their first official game would be on September 13th, 1963. But they were gonna have a preseason scrimmage before that. And the price of admission for the community to come watch them play for that scrimmage was simply soap and tells. Now, I've seen things like this before. Usually when the local high schools ask for donations, it's because they're doing a fundraiser and they're going to turn around and give the donations or the money to a homeless shelter or a food bank or something like that. But that wasn't the case here. You see, the football team needed the soap and towels for themselves because the locker room didn't have any and they were hoping to get enough donated to make it through the season. I hope the town came out and supported their team because I've got teenage boys and I hope we never run out of soap. I think I have time for one last story, so I'll take one from the Baltimore Sun out of Baltimore, Maryland from January 25th, 1931. This headline says, Wrong Shoes Bore Love Note, Man Sued. And the incident that the article is about took place in Berlin, Germany. And because the opening paragraph to this small article brings up so many questions, I'm going to read that to you as well. It says, Because he wrote a love message on the wrong shoes, a youth recently had to pay for the damaged raiment and feelings of an elderly woman he had pushed into the water. Um, doesn't that make you want to know more? I definitely couldn't walk away from this article. Apparently, a boy that is just described as a youth saw a beautiful woman staying at the same hotel he was staying at. As youths sometimes do, he fell in love with her instantly. Unfortunately, she was a stranger and he didn't even know her name, or anything else about her for that matter. The youth tried to approach the woman and probably flirt or ask her out, but she refused to show any interest in him or respond to his requests to get to know her more. But the youth of this story was undeterred. It was the woman of his dreams, and he didn't plan on giving up so easily. One day, he saw that the woman of his dreams had left her shoes outside her door. The perfect plan began to form inside his head, and he decided to leave a message for her. He wrote, "'I implore you, five today at the waterfall.'" and he wrote it on the woman's shoes. Then he went and waited at Berlin's Tiergarten, which was their most beautiful park. He waited and waited, hoping Dream Woman would appear. But instead of a beautiful young woman, an elderly woman dressed in her finest clothing appeared. She approached the youth and said, Here I am. The youth assumed he'd been pranked, and he was not happy. So he pushed the elderly woman into the water. Well it turns out that the woman of his dreams had checked out of the hotel and the elderly woman now occupied that room. And I think the elderly woman had every right to sue the youth. Friends, thanks for joining me today as we looked at some very random newspaper clippings that I've found and saved while researching other episodes of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed reading them. Join me again on Monday for another full episode that you won't want to miss. Talk to you later.